Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back for a spooky episode of the Fairy Tellers. <laughs> Before we get too far into the episode for today, we just wanted to remind everybody that this October, there are going to be five Fridays, which means that we have a fifth Friday. But instead of doing a Fifth Friday Fable Fest, we're going to do... A Fifth Friday Fright Fest. So we're going to be talking about urban legends. Yeah. Perfect for Halloween. Yep. So be paying attention to either our Facebook page or our Instagram because we're going to be letting you guys pick out which urban legends we're going to be talking about. So make sure to pick out some good ones. I'm excited for this episode because it's an episode about wailing women, (laughs) which my husband was like, you mean like... Like a gender-bent Moby Dick? Yeah, that's exactly what he said. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, they're like like screaming like women, women who are like luring men. And he was like, no, don't say wailing women. (laughs) So, but these women that we're going to be talking about today are the stuff of legend. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So we're going to be doing a little bit of, not a whole lot of traveling like we did last year for like our monsters episode. Uh This one, we're going to kind of keep it tight, focusing on uh, women supernatural like women there seems to be like a water theme that will kind of come up but not with all of them yeah that is really weird we've talked about it before but it's like that lots of there are a lot of these like women that like tempt people and like call them to them that are in the water like across the world like in russia and yes you know central and south america just like everywhere for some reason that's a really common theme that i have no idea why Yeah, because even there was even some in South Africa that I had looked at where it was like they didn't necessarily have like a name for them, but they're like, oh, yeah, they're water spirits. Always women that will like call children to the water and then like drown them. And I'm like, I mean, I feel like the easiest answer to that is like children seem to drown quite easily, which is unfortunate. And so there are stories to, like, keep children away from, like, water. Yeah. So that they can keep them safe. Which, the first story that we're going to be talking about, La Llorona. Ooh, yeah. Her kind of contemporary usage is exactly that. Uh To keep children, like, away from water. But that's not always what it has been. So, some of you, myself included, were first introduced to La Llorona by the movie Coco by Mm. 
Disney. So inside of the movie Coco, this one woman gets up at like the end. She accidentally like ends up on stage at this like concert and she starts singing this song all in Spanish. And when I was listening to the song, when I was watching the movie for the first time, I was like, oh, this is cool that they're doing the whole song in Spanish. And I thought to myself, I would have liked to have like subtitles. So I kind of knew what she was singing what, about. Yeah, like what she was singing about. But it also was very beautiful to see a movie that like, even though it was like made in America and most movies are made like for an English speaking audience. Yeah. This one, I liked that they weren't necessarily catering to an English speaking audience. Right. In that instance. Yeah. In that like moment. So when the movie was over, I went to go look up what the lyrics were to the song and like it translated into English because right. I was like, I want to know like what she was singing about. And I looked up the lyrics and it still did not make any sense to me. Like why this was included in this movie. Like I didn't understand at all, like what the tie in was. Right. So I was at the time I was like taking a class that like had nothing to do with like this. But there were a couple people in the class who were Hispanic. And so I went up to them and I was like, have you seen the movie Coco? And they were like, are you asking us because we're Hispanic? (laughs) And I was like, yes. (laughs) But not not in a like, oh, did you see that special movie? Wasn't it so great that it had Espanol? (laughs) (laughs) It was like, no, like, yes, I'm asking you like this because you're Hispanic, but not like I have a specific question. And I was like, the song that the lady sung on stage, La Llorona. What do you know that song? Like, is that song like familiar to you? And they both were like, yes, that, yeah, of course that song's like familiar to us. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So, like, you'd heard that song before, and they're like, yes, of course we have. And I was uh, like, Would you, okay, explain. like, What is going on? Like, what is going on? And they're like, no, because, like, it was, it's, a, it's a Mexican folk song that's, like, really, really, like, common. Mm-hmm. Be- and singers redo it, like, all the time. They right. all have kind of, like, there's a lot of verses to choose from traditionally from the song. And so singers will pick like the top three that they like. Yeah. And then and their version with just those verses. That's cool. Exactly. And they're like, so like it's, it's a really common song and they're like, and it totally makes sense for like the story. And I was like, how did it make sense? Cause I looked up the translation. I don't understand. And they're like, no, 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 like not the song, but like the story that she's like telling. And I was like, I don't understand. And they're like, you know, it's like this love story about like this woman whose like husband like leaves her. Which is exactly what, you know, that lady in the movie had felt when she was like alive. And I was like, okay, slow down. (laughs) Because like what was being communicated in this moment in Disney was something that 
it was being communicated specifically to a group of people who knew the story. And I think that that's incredible because it's like, not only did Disney have that song be in Spanish, but the song itself wasn't, the lyrics weren't communicating what was happening. Right. The backstory behind the song. Yeah, that's really interesting. Was communicating. I was like, wow. So the story of La Llorona, which is the weeping woman, this story, the way that it is right now, it dates to about the 16th century, but parts of it are older than that. In Mm -hmm. the 16th century, they see these like different themes start to emerge, and I'll talk about those in a second. Okay. So once upon a time, there was a beautiful woman, of course, and this rich man who, you know, had a higher station above her in some versions of the story, he's Spanish, so she's like native Mexican, and he's spanish ancestry Uh so like it's like automatically communicated like oh yeah like he's rich and higher status he met her and even though she was like a village woman she was so beautiful that he was instantly in love with her because of like how beautiful she was which being hot will open a lot of doors for you that's exactly (laughs) (laughs) the only problem is what she ran into was like after you have a couple kids (laughs) they trash your body, my friends. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So they like, they were married and she was leading a really like happy, wonderful life with this man that she was like very much in love with. He constantly, you know, had to go away back and forth on business, but they had these children together. In some stories, it's like two sons. In some stories, they don't specify for our story. We're going to say they had two sons together And they both loved and adored their children. But his trips, her husband's trips, kept getting longer and longer until this one time. It was like months before he came back. And when he came back, he came with another woman. Oh, gosh. Who was younger and beautiful. And, you know, she had given everything for this man and now was going to like lose everything, including the children, because he told her that he wanted to take the children away with him to start his new life, that they didn't want to be hindered by her. And she, in a passionate rage, took the children to the nearby river and drowned them. Oh man. But immediately after she drowned them, in the water and like let their bodies like slip through her finger down Uh like the river. She suddenly came to herself again and realized what she had done. Yeah. And she started like screaming and crying and searching the whole river, trying to find her babies. And she almost drowned herself searching for her babies. Uh And so she couldn't find them and she crawled out of the river and sat laying on the shore, weeping and screaming. And then she spent the rest of her life going up and down the river, searching for her lost children. And when she died, 
her spirit started to go up to heaven. And when she got up to heaven, the people at the gate asked, where are your children? And she didn't have them. And they said, you can come to heaven. Your soul can rest when you find your children. And so she went back as a spirit down to earth, weeping and screaming along the river, searching for her children. And so she has been known to, if she finds children by the river, she'll grab them and drown them so that she can take them up with her to heaven to see if she can like get through the gates with these children. Wow. The end. <laughs> and they all lived happily ever <laughs> after. Man, that's dark. I've never actually heard that story. I've heard like kind of like bits and pieces. I basically have heard the general gist of it, but man, yeah. hearing it all at once too just makes it so sad and yeah dark so she's either said to wear a light blue sky color which makes her look like the virgin mary because in a lot of paintings Mm -hmm. uh of the time and like earlier the virgin mary is always depicted wearing like sky blue interesting and that's why like in the song there's like a verse about her like being seen coming out of like a church dressed all in blue Mm -hmm. And it's and they say like I thought you were the Virgin, and they mean the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. I think another name that she's also known is Don Maria, and that's again like to like relate her with like Maria, Mar- Maria, Mary. Yeah. Like so, she's either wearing like this like light blue, or she's a woman in white, mm-hmm. which is like the like a woman in white is a super common is. Is a super common worldwide ghost figure. Yeah. And so she is just like wandering up and down the river. And since she hasn't been like eating or sleeping or anything, like her face is sunken in, she's like skeletal and her eyes are bloodshot red from all of like the crying that she's doing. And So, yeah, obviously this story, like, now makes a really, really good story to tell children to keep them from, like, wandering out at night, especially if they, like, go to the river. Because this, like, oh, this woman is wandering around looking for children to, like, take with her into the realm of the dead. Which, I mean, that would scare me into staying inside. That's not a place where I want to go. The realm of the dead. What's interesting to me are some of the themes that are inside of this story since the 16th century. So one of them is this idea of like, oh, a rich Spanish man like coming in and a person who is like seen as like lowlier because they're native to the country. That very much is like, a theme of like imperialism. Yeah. Like it's like this person coming at from out outside thinking that they're better than us and then yeah. like bringing us in only to exploit us and take everything that we have and then move on and do it to somebody else a little further down the down the river. Exactly. That like, oh, you might think that like like oh, you think that like you're marrying up or that you're marrying like outside of your culture and that that's going to be okay, but it's not going to be okay. 
because we've definitely talked about like that in the podcast about marriage relationships that then like go sour, especially if you're marrying somebody who's like outside of like your culture. Yeah. And so there's definitely like themes of that, but there's also that like, like Christianity that like is starting to come in and that comes in with the like, like, oh, she wants to get to heaven, but she can't get to heaven yeah. because of this. And like, oh, she looks like the Virgin Mary. Yeah. And so the stories like this with like figures like this are from earlier in the mythology. That's going to kind of like pull us away from our main topic today, but I just wanted to tell people if they want to look up Monstrum, uh, uh, it's a PBS YouTube channel. They kind of go into some of the um, backstory of the mythology, like the mythological yeah. figures. Oh, that'd be really cool. If so yeah, I'm like, if people want to do a deeper dive on La Llorona, they can definitely do that. And that's Monstrum PBS on YouTube. So, yeah, that was a little quick rundown of La Llorona. But now I want to quickly go to like a different place. <laughs> so another woman that I kept running into in my research that like it kept being like, oh, yeah, this like folklore figure is also related to La Llorona. And it was a banshee. Oh, wow. They were they were like check out banshees. You might also be interested in like information, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Just because they are not geographically <laughs> close in relation to each other. Yeah, banshees are Irish, and they're actually a very specific like area of. Uh, Ireland. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. So banshees are a, like a fairy woman or an otherworld woman. That's what the name like banshee meant was fairy woman or otherworld woman. Mm -hmm. And what they were known for doing is before a noble person died and it's Noble people who their name either starts with like an O apostrophe uh-huh. or Mac. Ah. Mac or Mick. And so, and it's like, it's only for nobility of those two people. Wow. Those are the only people that Banshees care about, apparently. That's crazy. Which I thought was fascinating because I thought that Banshees cried for anyone. Yeah. Because what, what these women do, these like fairy women, is that they will like wail or screech or do what's called keening uh-huh. right before one of these noble people would die. Yeah. And it was especially useful if they were like about to die in battle because their family back home, if they heard that keening, which is um, ritualistic mourning screams. Yeah. Because when people would die, part of the culture around death in that area was to have like women who would wail. Yeah. And it was called keening. That's super and, fascinating. And there were people who were 
paid. Yeah, they're like pros. Yeah, they were the pros, but only really rich people could afford them. So again, noble people could afford to have, you know, professional keeners there to make sure that there was like the appropriate level of like mourning. mourning. Yeah. And so if you were a noble person and you were back, you know, at your fortress castle and you suddenly heard like that wailing, that keening coming from like the direction that you know battles are being like fought, uh-huh. you would know that your loved one either just was killed in battle or is about to be killed. And so it would kind of forewarn the family that it was going to happen. Yeah. The story would slowly change like over time to be like, oh, anytime somebody is going to die, they would hear the the banshee screaming or I think there was even like if somebody that you love is away at sea, but you hear like that screaming. And so it's interesting because last year in the Sleepy Hollow episode, we talked a little bit about Dulahan. Yeah. Who is also a death omen. Right. And because uh, he would come out and he would like say your name, right? Yeah, he would like ride up like on this horse that was sometimes headless. Uh, and so like some of the best. Usually he would just like he was this head headless horseman that would like ride up and he had he had his head, his own head with him. It just wasn't like attached. Yeah. It's like an accessory. It was an accessory. And you would hear your name get screamed out, and then you would know, like, oh no, it's gonna it's die. gonna be me. Or what I absolutely love, because I remember the the banshee, the first time I was probably ever introduced to like the idea of a banshee was as a child watching Darby O'Gill and the little people with my mom. <laughs> this is like if you want to like have your mind blown and see like Sean Connery, like really young. Uh-huh. It like it's like, oh my gosh, wow, like it's insane. <laughs> At like the end of the film, there's this like woman who's dying and this banshee is flying over her, which now I'm realizing like O'Gill. Yeah. That's like one of the names that like uh-huh. banshees come to scream for people whose like name is O, like uh-huh. O'Gill. So I'm like, oh, they did their research. <laughs> <laughs> but what I totally forgot. Because, I mean, I watched this movie probably the last time I had watched this movie before we recorded the Sleepy Hollow episode. Yeah. Was when I was like 10. Uh, so been and, a little bit. Yeah. So I watched it. I watched it last year on the my plane ride on my trip, like with my husband to Australia that I was like, you know what? I'm going to be on a really long flight. I'm putting this <laughs> on my like Kindle so I can watch it. Um, which that probably looked silly of like just me watching this like movie from the fifties. <laughs> I'm like, who needs in-flight movies that are like recent when I could be watching Darby O'Gill and the Little People? And at the at the end of that story, the death coach that I mean they don't explicitly say this in the movie, but the, the Doolahan's death coach is made out of like body parts of human beings. Yeah. And it comes to like collect him. And Dulahan is like in the front seat, like in the, uh, he's the driver of the carriage and he's like sitting at the front, which obviously as a child went over my head. And probably the only reason why I knew that it was the Dulahan, like was because I 
you know, was researching that last yeah, year. Yeah. But yeah, in that movie, there's like the banshee that's like overhead, like screaming. And that was like the first time I'd ever been introduced to like the concept of like this person like screaming and wailing. Yeah. And to me, I mean, obviously horrifying. And again, it's this like woman who is said to either wear like all gray. She'll be like wearing green with like a gray cloak. Yeah. Or she's all dressed in white. So this other like woman Woman in white. white That screams. That screams and is connected with like death. And, like, mourning. Yeah. Because it's, like, La Llorona, like, she's, like, sobbing, crying about, like, the death of, like, her children. Right. And this lady is screaming because she's, like, always in mourning. Yeah. That's the thing that I thought was really fascinating, that they're both, like, screaming and yelling and crying because of, like, being in mourning, like, mourning the children or mourning someone, you know, a noble person or someone that has died or will die. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I just thought it was crazy that it's, like, these, like, women from around the world that are these kind of, like, death omens and these, like, screaming women in white. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're coming for you. So, La Llorona and the Banshee are related in kind of just this, this women in white weeping and wailing like kind of death related figures but there is another figure that pops up in folklore that is a little closer (laughs) geographically (laughs) uh than the banshee and so now we're going to be going to brazil yeah and so this story it's not going to be a person who is a death omen, but she's a pretty deadly lady. She's also like someone that will lure you in and try to drown you into the water, but not children, men. So now I'm going to tell the story of the Yara from Brazil. And this is the version that I'm kind of retelling is from the Brown Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. We've talked about Andrew Lang before. He wrote a lot of fairy books of various colors. But this is the brown one, if you want to go and look it up yourself. And it's really funny. I'll I'll probably bring it up a lot. Like, there's a lot of things that I want to quote directly just because they had a really fun way of wording certain things. A very flowery way. Including the beginning, which says, Down in the south, where the sun shines so hotly that everything and everybody sleeps all day. And even the great forest seems silent. Except early in the morning and late in the evening. Oh my goodness. Down in this country, there once lived a young man and a maiden. It's like, it sounds like a beer commercial or something. Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, this is, it's uh, exactly what we were talking about before we started recording about uh, birds. And how, because you can tell the time of day by the birds, because in the afternoon when it's the hottest, they are more quiet yeah they're the, they're the loudest in the early morning and in the late evening like in dusk yeah but when it's between the hours of like one and four uh-huh. when it's the hottest that's when birds are the quietest also that's funny yeah and it makes a lot of the fact that it's like it's so hot that everybody and everything sleeps all day 
I was like, that's a pretty sweet place to live. So there's a, a young man and a maiden living there. And the girl, it's really interesting because I didn't hear the story of La Llorona before this, but the, the, the young girl, she's from the area, whereas the young man is actually from another country. And he'd come down there near the Great River for work. After he'd moved there and lived there a few months, it started cooling down. And so people stopped sleeping all the time, which was important because if you're going to start hanging around and meeting people, you got to be awake for it. So once it started cooling down, this was the time of year when the people in this area had a huge feast. And so they threw this huge feast and people would get super dressed up. They would come from all over, even from outside of the city to gather and partake in this like big festival. And people got like, again, like I said, super dressed up. The women wear these like bright red dresses or blue dresses that have all these like wreaths of flowers and things in their hair. And it even mentioned, which I thought was just an interesting fairy tale element, that people would arrive in golden carriages to come and, and visit the feast. <laughs> so while all this is going on, this young man who has never been to one of these parties before just kind of stood around at this party awkwardly at the side like a nerd. <laughs> Until he saw the most beautiful girl that he had ever seen in a white dress with red pomegranates in her hair. Now, Katrina, have you ever seen a pomegranate? Does it say pomegranate? It says pomegranate. <laughs> Scarlet pomegranates in her hair. And I was like, pomegranates are like this, like bigger than my fist. She must have had a huge hairdo with like giant fruits in her hair. But anyway, so he sees this girl. But does he talk to her? No. Because like I said, he's a nerd. So <laughs> since this day, though, he's like fallen in love with her. And he keeps seeing her all over town. And he just cannot stop thinking about her. And it's gotten so bad that he can't sleep at night because he's just like thinking about this girl that he saw. And so to help him kind of relax at night when it's still kind of hot, he'd go out into the forest and he found this like cool lake that he would go and take a swim around in in, in the forest. The friends that I have in Brazil have told me that like people in Brazil will shower or like bathe. As often as they can. Oh, yeah. Just because of how, like, hot and humid it is, they're constantly sweating. And I'm like, me too. Like, when I lived in Thailand, I would try to take a shower at least twice a day. Yeah, that, that um, my friends from Brazil would say the same thing. They're like, we shower, like, three or four times a day or whatever. And they thought it was yeah. weird. Like, I would only shower, like, once or twice or whatever. But it was like, you know, especially when I'm in America, I, oh, like, yeah, when I, I spend all day in the air conditioning. I walk to my air-conditioned car, get out and go to an air-conditioned school or office, when you know. I, when I lived in Utah, like all the all the women there would be like, oh, no, you shouldn't be showering like more than like once a day. I mean, if you do shower more than once. Or if you shower every day, you should never wash your hair that much. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what in the world? Once a day showering. But it's so <laughs> dry there that yeah. you don't sweat. Yeah. Like the air sucks it all off of you. Yeah. Like you dehydrate. Yeah. Before you like sweat, you're like, how did I get so dehydrated? I wasn't sweating. It's like you were, but the air sucked it right off. Of you. Yeah. So it kind of made sense too. talking about how this guy's from like out of town. It seemed like he especially was not used to all the heat. So it makes sense that he's like living in this really hot part of the world or part of the country. So he's like going there to like cool off and distract himself from these feelings of love and obsession that he's developed for this woman. But one day while he's walking through town, he sees her again and she's like 
got her back up against the wall and she's using a fan to try to beat back this dog that's like savagely like lunging for her throat trying to attack her and he's like hey here's my chance (laughs) so alonzo who gets a name by the way you know i didn't think i guess andrew lang didn't think it was important that we got this information until like a third of the way through the story uh alonzo springs into action and he goes up and he punches the dog right in the face and with one swing bam just knocks the dog out cold killing it leaving it dead in the road funny aside in my notes i said punched the god in the face (laughs) i was like oh man that's a different story indeed jeez so after he knocked this dog dead which like i mean kind of sad but it was trying to murder this girl not murder it could have had it could have had rabies (laughs) That's true. Just like the raccoon that got your brother. <laughs> um, so after he knocked this dog dead, he, rescuing Julia, who also gets a name now, which is great. Mm. He takes her back to her family and she was like kind of says on the verge of fainting because she'd been like fighting anything off and she was like really scared. Takes her back to her family that was kind of sitting around relaxing in the shade of this veranda. Just watching their daughter casually be attacked by a dog. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that's how you got to weed out the weak ones. Yeah. But he like takes her back and is hanging out with them. And it says like, it wasn't long until he became the promised husband to Julia. She's like, oh, dang. I guess you save a girl from a dog and that's, that's all you got to do. Anybody who's looking to win a woman over, all you need is a crazy dog and a little bit of gumption. And a really good right hook. So this next part is really good. I wanted to read it to you because it's like straight out of a romance novel. So Alonzo's now the promised husband to Julia and they start kind of courting in earnest now. And it says, every day when his work was done, he used to go up to the house hidden among flowering plants and brilliant creepers where hummingbirds darted from bush to bush and parrots of all colors, red and green and gray, shrieked in chorus. (laughs) It's like shrieked in chorus. That doesn't sound very appealing. Dude, but I am very interested in like the hummingbirds. Yeah. South America has the most incredible hummingbirds. Yeah, and parrots of all colors, apparently. Yeah. There he would find the maiden waiting for him, and they would spend an hour or two under the stars, which looked so large and bright that you felt as if you could almost touch them. So they're having some pretty killer dates under the stars. Hot. (laughs) Then one day, while they're hanging out under the stars, out of the blue, Julia asks, so uh, what did you do last night when you got home? And uh, Alonzo's like, oh, yeah, getting into the dirty talk. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. But he decided to play it cool. So instead, you know, he tells her the actual truth. He's like, well, you know, like, I've been going to this pool in the forest to swim at night for the last few months because it's so hot. And... He's like, but last night, something really weird happened. As I was swimming, I heard this voice that was, quote, singing more sweetly than a nightingale. A lot of bird references in this story, I'm realizing. There's a lot of birds in In South South America. America. So he talks about he heard this, like, really sweet song. And he got kind of freaked out hearing, like, he's bathing naked in this river at night. And he hears someone singing nearby. So he... Says he got up, he he got dressed, and he started searching around, trying to see who it was that was there nearby. And he thought, like, oh, it's probably my friend, like, playing some kind of trick on on him. So he runs home, 
and he finds his friend at home fast asleep. So he's like, okay, that's really weird. And as he's telling this story to Julia, her jaw starts to drop and like the blood drains from her face. She goes bone white and she starts just shivering and shaking like crazy because she had heard stories her whole life growing up in this area about all the terrible creatures there were that lived in the forest. And she's thinking to herself, it's like, oh my gosh, could this be one of them? This could be the Yara, which is this creature who seeks young men on the eve of their marriage to hunt as their prey. So I'm like, that's a very specific diet that this creature has. It's like young men who are on the eve of their marriage. Those are the, those are exclusively the people that I'm going to eat or drown or the whatever. Most, the most delicious. Yeah. Of all men. So Julia's just sitting there in a panic realizing like, okay, this dude, he's been promised to me in marriage. We're going to get married kind of soon. We're courting like pretty seriously now. And he's hearing this Yara singing. Like it's going to try to kill him and take him away from me. And so Alonzo... <laughs> At this point, is like really regretting not going the dirty talk route. And he's like, oh, oh, sorry, what's wrong? And she's like, you promise me, you promise me that you'll never go swimming in those pools again. And he says again, I quote, but why not, queen of my soul? Have I not gone there always and nothing has harmed me, flower of my heart? He's like, dude, chill. You didn't need to call her like two poetic, you know, <laughs> diminutives, not diminutives, you know, poetic pet names. One would have been fine. But she's like, he doth, he doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, no, nothing has harmed you yet. She's like, but just promise you'll, you'll wait until after we're married to go back there. It's like, after we're married, you can go back and you can swim in there all you want. And he's like, I don't know what difference our marriage will make, but okay. And he agrees, but he's like, why, why are you so scared? She's like, didn't you hear the song? And he's like, uh, yeah, I heard the song and it slapped. It was the best song I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, that's just it. That's the song of the Yara. And after you hear the song, then will come the apparition. And after the apparition comes, she trailed Damn. off cryptically. And he's like, after that, what? And she's like, death, death, it'll kill you. And she's just like beside herself. And he's staring at her thinking, oh my gosh, this girl has lost her mind. So she's like, okay, after we're married, you can swim there as often as you like. Just promise that until we're married, you won't swim there again. He's like, okay, but why are you so afraid? He's like, because you heard the voice of the Yara. Were you not listening to me? And at this, Alonzo started to laugh. And then his laughter just got louder and louder and more intense. And this was not just like, a, oh, you told a funny joke. Oh, you're being so silly. This is kind of like a maniacal possessed sort of laughter and yeah, seeing this yikes. julia freaks out even more she's like no one who has not seen the yara will laugh like that and she throws herself to the ground and starts to cry even harder and then alonzo stops laughing just like that and is like thinking to himself wait no one that has not seen the yara, someone that has seen the yara he gets very serious <laughs> and he bends down <laughs> to help her up he's like oh don't cry my angel I will promise anything. Just please let me see you smile again. So he helps her up to her feet and she says, okay, she's feeling a little calmer now. She's like, if you do ever go back to the pool, she made him promise like three times, but she's like, yeah. I know you're not going to listen. If you ever do go back, it's like, take this. And she pulls out a little seashell from a case and she sings softly into it. And gives it to him and says, when you hear the Yara's voice, put this to your ear and maybe my voice will be stronger than her. And you'll be able to resist her call. It's like, oh, that's really sweet. So after that very emotional scene, 
Alonzo heads home, but even as he's heading home after this, he feels the pull of the river calling to him. So he's like looking back. He feels that yearning to go there, but decides, you know what? I promised I'm not going. And he goes home and he goes to bed. And he keeps his promise for three straight nights. And it's like, not because he thinks the story of the Yada is true. He kind of honestly thinks that's a load of BS. But because he loves Julia... (laughs) And he promised, and it says too, he's like, I just know how upset she would be if I confessed to her that I went back to the pool. So he didn't want to make her upset. So he's like, superstitious women, (laughs) always freaking out. Exactly. So he resisted, but over time, over these few days, he could hear the song and feel the song calling to him, and it was getting stronger and stronger by the night. And on the fourth night, it was so strong, which I thought was interesting, it was the fourth night and not the third night. It was so strong that even the thought of Julia and all the promises made to her were no match to the the call of this song. So after work, after hanging out with Julia, he went straight to the river and probably feeling a little paranoid because of all this Yara talk. He starts looking around as if to look and see if there's someone there waiting for him. And he's like, this is silly. There's no such thing as a Yara. So he rips off his clothes. And just as he's about to jump in the water, the moonlight shifts through the trees and he sees a golden haired woman standing among the ferns near the water's edge. And so like with one bound, he like pulls up his clothes and rushes back down the path that he came on and feeling like at any second, like this yard is going to reach out and grab him by the shoulder. And it wasn't until he'd gotten way out of the forest, past the trees, was standing just like in an open area that he even dared to look around. And when he did that, he thought he saw that there was this figure in white standing there waving her arms to him to get him to come back. So seeing this woman waving at him, he's like, "Okay, that's enough. He hits the road and runs harder than ever. And he didn't stop again until he was back in his own room safe. So the next morning when it's daytime, he goes back to the forest to see if he could find any traces of the yard being there. Because I think he's sort of thinking like, was I just like freaked out because Julia planted these thoughts in my head and like, I'm just, you know, pulling an Ichabod crane and scaring myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did I really see something or am I just falling for like female superstition? Yeah. So he goes back and he sees it's empty. He sees no sign of her. And like the only voice that he hears are those of the parrots, those shrieking parrots, which he says now are quote, so ugly that they only drive people away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dude hating on it's the like, parents well it's like buddy earlier when you were all in love you thought that it was like super romantic <laughs> to hear they're like screeching yeah but now now that he's upset he's like i wish those birds would be quiet yeah she's so like oh my gosh i must be going crazy i dreamt all that it's it's not real so he goes back to his work and he's like so distracted by what has happened he's like oh man like the work feels so much harder i can't really concentrate on it and all of his friends and everybody are like hey buddy are you okay like you look really scared and he's like making all these excuses like oh you know like i must be sick something else is going on blah 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 and uh he's just like counting down the hours until night comes so he can go back to the forest which it's like, why? Well, because sometimes, even though we know something is bad or scary or like wrong for us, like we're still like drawn to it and tempted by it. Like meth. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, totally. Yeah. He's like, he knows it's wrong, but he's like, gotta go. 
And it's like he thinks it's the way that the story tells it too. It's like he. It seems like he thinks it's like he just really enjoys his like evening skinny dips in this river or lake. You know, it's like nothing else. Even though he yeah. talks about like hearing this song, so he's obviously he's been taken in by the spell. Yeah. So even if he can't, even if he can't admit it fully to himself. Exactly. So after work, he goes to Julia's house, and. He looks a mess. He looks like he's seen a Yara. <laughs> and his marriage is so strange that as soon as Julia sees him, she's like, she knows something's up. She's like, oh my gosh, he looks horrible. What's going on? And she's asking him all these questions, but he's not answering. He's just like, I'll promise I'll tell you everything tomorrow. And he like pretends he's got a really bad headache and he goes home a lot earlier than he usually would from her house. No stargazing for a couple of hours. He's like, going to go hit the hay. So he goes home and he gets out a pistol, loads it up and puts it on his belt and heads out. Yipes. It's, it's like, it's weird. This sentence, he's before midnight, he stole out on the tops of his shoes as to disturb nobody. But he's like, he's like tiptoeing out of there. <laughs> and he went down the road to the forest so he gets his gun out and he's holding it around like in this forest looking to see. He's like, okay, well, I saw the yard at night last time. But every little rustle of an animal or every sound of a night bird like has him like drawing his gun and like kind of freaking out. Like he's, he's, on the, he's on edge. And even though the moon was like shining through like it had before, he still didn't see anything that he, like he had seen the other night. So he's like, okay, starts thinking that maybe he's going crazy again. He just leans up against a tree to hang out. So, after this hard day of work and this ordeal of the night before, he's pretty tired. So, as he leans up against his tree, he falls asleep. And he doesn't know how long he was there because suddenly he wakes up hearing his name, like, uttered softly on the wind. And he's like, oh my gosh, who is that? He stands up, gets his gun out, and he's, like, looking around. And all of a sudden, his eyes are drawn to the water that's at his feet. And he's, like, sucked into it. He, like, cannot look away. And as he's staring into this, like, deep, dark water, he sees this bright spark that illuminates deep in the water. And it seems to get closer and closer and bigger and brighter. And then he starts feeling this, like, intense fear, like, coming over him. And he tries to look away, but he can't. It's, like, too late. Like, the pull of this pool is so strong that he can do nothing but stand there and stare right into it. And finally, as he's staring into the pool... The water's part open and floating on the surface is that same beautiful woman, the Yada that he had seen before. And he tries to run, but his feet are like just like glued to the spot. And the Yada Ooh. smiles at him and she holds out her arms. But as she did, there came this thought in his mind of Julia. And he'd only seen her just a, cow a couple hours before. And he remembered her warnings and her fears about what might happen. And he realized like, oh man, I am in big danger now like you hear the song you see the apparition and then death is drawing near and so as he's standing there rooting on the spot the figure is getting closer and closer and closer and like after just intense mental effort he finally is able to shake off this stupor and kind of break himself out of the spell and he draws his gun and tries to shoot the yada but that's dumb because she's a supernatural figure and he is so stupid to bring a gun to a supernatural <laughs> ghost fight yeah so he like shoots at her and she just like keeps she keeps coming but the gunshot like is echoing through the whole forest 
scaring the crap out of all these birds that are trying to sleep, I'm sure. <laughs> I bet, yeah. <laughs> and he fires again, and it like, the bullet whistles through the air. And then she gets nearer and nearer, and the next moment she's right there by his side. And he's all out of bullets, you know, like... This isn't any Hollywood logic with the endless magazine. Like, that thing is gone. <laughs> so he turns it around and holds it by the barrel like a club, and he's getting ready to, like, try to club the Yada. Guy's not getting the hint that if bullets aren't going to kill it, bashing it with a gun is probably not going to work either. <laughs> but he realizes, too, that he's, like, standing right at the edge of this river. He feels the water touching his feet. And the Yada, as she's coming closer, starts to sway back and forth, and she begins to sing seeing that you know he's trying to shoot at her he's obviously not quite as under her spell as he was before and as the song starts floating through the trees the whole air starts to kind of be full of it and alonzo can feel just his senses going his will failing he starts falling back under her spell his arms drop to his side unable to resist unable to pistol whip her but as his <laughs> arms fall to his side and he drops the gun his hand hits his pocket where the seashell that Julia had given him was resting. And he remembered his promise and he had always carried it in his coat from that time. But even though his mind was like dimming and he was falling further and further into the auto spell, he remembered the seashell and like with such a weak hand, almost dropping the seashell, he brings it up and puts the seashell to his ear. And out of the depths of the shell, he hears Julia's voice singing to him as she'd sung to him when she gave him the shell. And even though the notes were like faint and soft at first, they grew louder and louder until the the power of Julia's song blew away the mist that had gathered around him and starts blowing away and clearing the air of the song of the Yada. So the the stuff is bl- is blown away. And he raises his head and the feeling that he'd had of that strange place was totally gone. And he realized he would not wander there anymore. He was completely free of that spell. And he looked around him and there was nothing there. No yada, no mist, no creepy moonlight, nothing but the river, the shadows of the trees, and the hum of insects as they darted through the night sky. The end. I would like it, if I was going to retell the story... With, like, free license to say, this isn't recording in any book. I want to end it with, like, him going back to, like, him going to her, apologizing for not believing, (laughs) telling her, girl, you saved my life. I am indebted to you. And then they get married. Yeah. It's like it it has the climax, but they forgot, like, the, the, the appropriate, like, resolution, the denouement. Yes. But I think... For a ghost story, for like a supernatural story, yeah, that is the right ending yeah. to like end with him just like panting at the side of like this river as everything yeah. kind of like goes quiet. It is a pretty cool like little scene, you know, Julia's love blowing away the spell of the Yada. Yes, and you didn't even get to see the picture that's included in the Brown Fairy book. No, I didn't. Is it pretty cool? Yeah, because she's like, she's in the water and she's like got her arms up kind of like shrieking uh-huh. in like the water. And he's like laying down like in the brambles holding like oh, a shell like to his cool. like face listening to her. And it's like, oh, beautiful. I thought this was a really cool story. It is such a cool story. And I am going to go 
deep in, like now I'm going to go into like the mythology. So at the back of this book, because I think by now most of you know that like when I find a story, I'm like, all right, now what is your source? Cite your source and I'm going to like follow this (laughs) like rabbit trail back. back. Yeah. Because I'm like, I want to know how this story like came to be. So Andrew Lang, the only little note at the end of this story that it had uh, in the book that I was looking at was it said adapted from Brazilian mythology or adapted from folklore. What does it say? Exactly. Folklore Brazilian. (laughs) It's B-R-E... S-I-L-I-E-N. Brazilian. That's interesting. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, what is that? And then it's like, oh, no, it means Brazilian Brazilian. folklore. And I'm like, okay, I got you. It sounds like one of those like academic words where it's like, like Aristotelian, you know, like Brazilian. Well, it's like sometimes people like like, it blows, it blows their mind when they find out that like, not all countries have the same names for other countries. Yeah. Or like the the name that you know their country by, they don't call it that. Yeah, they don't call it that. And then they're like, wait, what? Although they do call Brazil, um, Brazil in Brazil. In Brazil. It's Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. So I did a little looking for uh, the Yara in mythologies in the area. And there are some indigenous people who they have this mythological figure of the Yara. Mm, cool. There's also, it's also pronounced like Oyara. Uh-huh. It's like O-I-A-R-A. And I'm like, that's a lot of vowels for my mouth. Yeah. I When I was looking it up, I saw there was a ton of different pronunciations yeah, it was for like, it. Yeah. Cause it's Lara or Oyara. It's like, okay. But the name basically means uh, the mother of the water bodies. So she was like this character who, this mythological figure who was like associated with water. But she she didn't start out associated with water. She was once a warrior, but she was the daughter of the chief. Uh huh. And so she had these other brothers who were also skilled warriors, but she was a more skilled warrior. And she also had a beautiful singing voice and like she was gorgeous to behold. And so in every way she could best them. And also she was a very attractive like Uh woman. Yeah. And so, of course, she was their father's favorite. Because she was the the absolute best, this like shining beacon of a child. Yeah. And so this one day when she was out hunting with her brothers, they attempted to kill her. Oh, gosh. And so there was this big fight between all of them. And even with the two of them fighting her, yeah. she was better than them yeah. at fighting And so because she was so much more skilled than them, she was able to kill them and defeat them. But after she killed her brothers and realized like what she did, she knew she couldn't go back to her father. She couldn't go back to her tribe. 
she was like, no, like, I've committed this, like, a horrible sin because I killed my brothers. Even though it was she, self-defense. like... self-defense. Self-defense, yeah. yeah. Um, but she felt so much guilt and shame about it that she was wandering through the woods. Well, pretty soon, people noticed that all of the chief's children were missing. And so they sent, like, a search party out for them. And the first thing that they found were these brothers who had been killed. And the chief in his like anger was like, I want whoever killed my sons to be murdered. Oh no. Unfortunately, that was his daughter. So after the father said that he wanted whoever killed his sons, like tracked down and killed the other warriors started to track Yara through the jungle and so they were tracking her and tracking her always pursuing her until they came to the black river and when they reached the black river she couldn't go any further they like they overpowered her and so this like large group of men were able to subdue her and grab her and drag her into the river and drowned her no and they left her in the water and they all left because they were like, yeah, we did it. We killed. Job's them. done. Brush it off. So her body sunk to the bottom of the river where the fish started to like swim around her and they picked her body up from like the bottom of the river and raised her back up uh-huh. to the top. And somehow in that process, she turned into a mermaid And so when she reached the surface of the water, she started singing out this like song and this beautiful song filled the jungle and the men like stopped and turned and they could hear the voice and they were drawn back to the water from her voice (laughs) and she drowned them in the river as her revenge. Yes, that's awesome. And so ever since then, she is this like mythological figure that is associated with like being near the water. And she has this song, which is like a siren song, (laughs) which seems to pop up all the time with like women around the world, like women, water, singing voice, drawing men in, drowning them. Yeah. So fascinating. So, but one of the things that's a little like terrifying about her is that she's not always just a mermaid. She can get her legs back and she doesn't leave far from the water, but she can like leave the the water water. and she will, you know, use her beauty and her soothing voice and she will draw men into the water. But yeah, ever since, you know, her bad experience with like her brothers and all those warrior men that just... Like, couldn't deal with a strong, powerful woman. She's like, well, deal with me now. Yeah. And then she, you know, drowns them. I was, like, thinking, I was like, what would her motivation be? And then before I even asked it, I was like, well, her brothers turned on her and tried to kill her. And then all these guys, like, chased her down and drowned her. It's like, she's got a little bit of a thing against men, understandably. Yeah, she's like, oh, you know what? Smash the patriarchy. (laughs) Drown the patriarchy. That's a t-shirt. Drown the patriarchy. And it's like a yada. <gasps> that like, would. Or one yeah, of your, one just, of your, wood, your, your cuts, your stamps. Yes. Oh my gosh, that would be cool. And it's just like, like just a, it could literally be 
any yeah. like water woman from anywhere in the world. It could be a Rasalka, like yeah, like oh Selkie, Siren, like it's just women sitting by the water waiting to drown the patriarchy yeah. in cultures around the world. You know what's really fascinating to me about this, and I have like a lot of potential thoughts and reasons why, but like there's so many things like talking about again, like she was dressed all in white, just like we've talked about in all these other cultures and things like that. But it's like, from what I remember about Andrew Lang, he's like a Scottish guy, you know, who's collecting all these stories. Yeah. And so it's like how much of his influence is in this version that we have here. And, you know, like these details as well, like being dressed in white and whatever. I mean, it sounds like from what you were saying, which I was glad that you brought it up about like that story that is actually like, from the indigenous people of the Amazon about kind of the yeah. origin of this creature. It does seem like a lot of those details track, but it's always that frustrating thing where it's like, Oh man, you have to consider the source and the spin that they might have put on it. Yeah. I mean, one element that I thought kind of pointed to a more modern retelling is the gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it is, you can kind of place this story like anywhere you want, like in time, really, until you get like this guy pulling out a gun to like solve his problems. Uh Because that really is like a much more like modern like element. Yeah. Um, Because it could be, you know, like anything where it's like, oh, and he started throwing rocks at her. Like he like pulled out a slingshot or he had his like trusty knife or you know like there's a number of things that he could and so it's interesting that it is this like more modern like him pulling out a gun which kind of takes the story and it places it in a more specific time than like a lot of other like folk tales can be placed yeah yeah for sure but yes it is frustrating what you're saying about when you get a story that's yeah being like pulled out and taken by somebody else outside of the culture and you don't know like did anything get put in or taken out because it didn't make sense fully to the person recording the story or they wanted to embellish but they embellished in their own and in a way that they culturally would find interesting but not necessarily that's authentic yeah yeah because it's like the other thing too is like we talk about this but it's like we're looking at this like very academic we're like we want to know like the truest thing which when you're talking about fairy tale and folklore it's like there is there is no such thing because different people would tell it differently like this is just as in many ways just as valid as other versions because that's how it was it doesn't have a single author that's like no this is the definitive story it like changes and morphs throughout time and throughout different places and whoever's whoever's telling it but I don't know. He wasn't trying to like preserve it. He was just trying to make entertainment is kind of my, my thinking on it. But yeah, something that I love looking at is even kind of like the more modern versions of these tales. Cause like if anybody pauses this like podcast for a second and goes and looks up any of the figures that we talked about, you're going to find very modern. Yeah horror movies and like just like other stuff that would be like great. And so it's like, you might look up La Llorona and then find a bunch of like horror movies about it. And then you're going to be watching it going, this is different from like what I was told. And it's like, yes, 
in a lot of like the modern versions, she is getting like less associated with water, more associated with like roadways and lonely highways. Mm. And she'll like hop into the back of cars of people who don't stop to pick her up as like a hitchhiker. Uh. Um, Which I, I also find fascinating because the concept of like the woman in white. Yeah. The first time I was introduced to like that, that concept was watching unsolved mysteries. Oh no. Was watching the show unsolved mysteries. Like with my mom, it was unsolved mysteries. That show is like, it's the, the classic one is bonkers. I know there's like, (laughs) there's like new on Netflix, which because like the, the old one that I used to watch was they would have stories of like, people who like had been kidnapped gone missing in the same episodes that they'd be talking about like Loch Ness yeah, like, and like, like Bigfoot or like aliens Bigfoot sightings yeah aliens or like these like ghost stories of like this woman in white who was like walking along the, the side, like, of, side of the road and I gave her a ride to her house and when I went there the next day because she'd like left something in the car or whatever I knocked on the door and the person who lived there said, she's been dead for 50 years. (laughs) Um, And so like, I was, I dude, there've been times where I've been like on road trips driving like at night. No, one time when I was visiting you, we were driving at night and it's a long way to your house and it was dark. And there was a lot of like old overhanging like trees and stuff. And We paused for a second because we thought that we were like getting off course and I was waiting for like my GPS to kind of catch up with like where we were and we like pulled over and I was like, nope, nope, keep going. This, this is like a place where ghosts are going to want to like hitchhike. (laughs) It was like fully ingrained in me. I was like terrified. But yeah, like movies are taking some of these figures and they're giving them like more modern twists and it's like, that's okay. Yeah. Because it is like every time a story gets like redone, it always grabs on to things that then reflect the culture now right. or like when it's being told. And I find those differences like fascinating. It is. So yeah, it's like getting hung up on the like, oh, who did this? I think what frustrates me when I don't know what the earlier version is, isn't that I'm like, oh, this is like the less correct one. It just, I know that it, it stops me from diving into another culture. Yeah. Because it's it's like, oh, I'm getting interrupted. My pathway into this like other culture is getting like interrupted by this person's like Eurocentric view. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think like what my hangup is. I'm, I'm not super worried about like, What's the most correct version? Yeah, because heaven knows we're not retelling the most correct versions when we <laughs> do our retellings here on this podcast. When we're like, here's an aside. <laughs> no, or what I also find super fascinating is that like we have tons of international listeners, which I'm so happy about. Yeah. But it's also interesting because I'll I'll have people kind of reach out and be like, oh, that was really fascinating. The version that you told, I've heard it differently. Yeah. I don't. And But what's funny is like, sometimes they're like, I don't know, maybe mine's not the right one. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Whatever version you heard is a right one. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's totally fine. And I love it when it's like, oh, it was like slightly different. And then they can like examine like, wait, 
what in what ways was the one I heard different and why was it different? Yeah. What could the like reasons behind those like differences be? What was the original teller trying to tell me? Or like what was the point? Because again, like La Girona, like the the story started out not about children better not wander off at night. Yeah. But it is interesting that it slowly turned into that. And we actually have an episode that's going to be coming up later on before the new year that's about myths to make children behave. (laughs) Because I think those are really interesting to look at. There's like a whole period of time when stories, a lot of stories, when they started to shift towards being told to children, the message stopped being about kind of these like like bigger issues of like marriage and abandonment and like murdering. Like they started to turn away from like those themes and started to turn towards like, okay, what message do I want to send to children? And the messages were either like, turn your life over to God or listen to your mom and behave. And so it's interesting that like, you know, we can see these stories like shift and change based on like what we're trying to like teach to the people who are talking. I love that you pointed out in the story of Yara that it starts off a lot like La Llorona, where it's like this person, this woman who is like native to this area. Yeah. And then this guy comes from like outside of the culture. And even if it's just like outside of the local culture and he has to be kind of like taught the folk wisdom, like of the area, if he's going to live and survive, because like a lot of like folklore and stories, we're taught to people to teach them the cultural message of how to survive in this culture. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just like, I'm glad that you pointed out that it was this like outsider coming in and who was kind of like, I don't know if I believe these stories. And it's like, well, when you're in a new place, if you're going to live, you better just listen to the locals. They know what's good for you. Yeah, because you don't know what monsters are lurking in a new area. And that's just some good practical advice. If you're traveling and someone's like, hey, don't drink the water. It's not because of superstition. It's because they don't want you to poop to death. That's the end. That's really, that's the whole point of the podcast is like, I want people to know not to drink the water or you'll poop to death. So something that's really interesting when we go back to like world mythologies is so often women are associated with childbirth, the starting of new life, but also in mythologies, women are oftentimes associated with death and Mm. like being able to like foretell impending death or they like can like cause. Yeah. Lure people to their death. Yeah, that, like, women are tied to creation and destruction, that, like, those two things, like, go together. 
And so it really fascinates me that there are these stories of like women all over the world that are like either omens of death or they're like women wronged that are now like coming to kind of like right that wrong by like being destroyers. And yeah, I just think that's cool. That's all I want to say is I just think it's cool and awesome. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. In some stories, they don't <coughs> specify. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I tried. Just finished coughing. <laughs> oh, I'm coughing so hard it's going to give me the hiccups, too. I like, corona, drown, I, corona. I like drown myself. I was taking a drink and somehow I breathed in just the tiniest bit. And I was trying not to like cough like crazy and ruin your story. But the more I held it, the worse it got. And the more I ruined your story. I apologize. <laughs>